You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Oh, well, well, hello. I wasn't expecting you. Ah, I could have cleaned up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. I also want to shout out the Peacock and Williamson podcast, NFL analyst Brian Peacock and NFL scout Matt Williams, former scout Matt Williamson break down everything you need to know in the wide world of the NFL. On today's show, I want to talk about linebackers a lot and also talk about the first round draft pick of the Minnesota Vikings. We're going to talk a little bit about Troy Dye. We did his story time series earlier, but I want to talk about him on the field a little bit and that linebacker three job and kind of what he needs to do to really take the mantle that he was drafted to eventually take to be the next bed and get in. And we got a story time doubleheader today, Ryan Connolly and Christian Derrissaw on the docket. But first, let's talk about Troy Dye. So if you just wanted to do a cursory glance, you could look at tackle numbers, you could look at PFF grades or something like that. And PFF grades are particularly unkind to Troy Dye. And so I kind of set out to see, all right, so what is the problem then? It should be fairly obvious. What goes wrong with him? And I guess the answer of what was wrong with Troy Dye, there are two main answers to this. There's a bunch of blips in coverage, which I'm not going to get into, kind of outside the, the scope of the question, can he win that linebacker three job? Because the linebacker three job is mostly a run defense job. If you're the third linebacker on the field, you're only going to be on the field when there's two tight ends or two running backs, right? There's an extra tight end or an extra running back, you need an extra linebacker to cover that. And when there's an extra tight end and an extra running back, it's a run play more often than not. So you got to be, a, this, it's got to be a primarily run defending linebacker. That's why that was the perfect job for Ben Gideon, who's way better in run defense than he was in coverage. But, you know, some blips in coverage that were mostly, you know, blown coverages and stuff. We don't need to get into that right now. It's sort of outside the scope of what we're examining. What really bothered me was the missed tackles, and I'm sure that's what bothered PFF as well. And the missed tackles are interesting because there's a lot of reasons you can miss a tackle, right? You can uh, set yourself up poorly. You can just have bad form. You can be too crazy. You can get kind of blocked into a weird angle. There's a lot of reasons you can miss a tackle. So that's all well and good. But what I really wanted to see when I jumped into the tape was I wanted to see misses for the reasons of mental mistakes. Troy Dye was a rookie linebacker thrown into the fire way before he was ready. And the situations in which that is okay are situations in which he was poor because he wasn't ready, not because he was, uh, you know, some other reason, because he was bad. You want him to be not ready, not just bad. And there's a pretty distinct difference between those two things. So I wanted to see misreads, you know, I wanted to see the wrong gap. I wanted to see hesitation and kind of being slow. And there was a little hesitation. He bit on play action uh, a little bit more than I would have liked. And that's the kind of thing that you get a little better at with experience and reps. But insofar as how it affected his ability to get to the ball carrier, he was maybe a step later than he would have been. And that's actually pretty good for a rookie. I don't know if there's quite as much room to improve there as you want to see for a guy who's supposedly, you know, the, the best excuse he has for poor play in 2020 is being a rookie in the game's too fast for him. It didn't look like it was that fast for him. And that sounds like a positive, and it is, but we kind of, like, that's the problem you want to have to fix. That's a fixable problem, and that's not particularly the one he has. There are actually a lot of plays where, you know, he diagnoses and he he attacks and, and, you know, you can see film study popping up. 
I, I kind of have said uh, offhandedly whenever asked about Troy Dye or any of the linebackers like, oh, you know, you had all these players, these rookies like Blake Lynch and Troy Dye and stuff that the game, you know, they were clearly not ready and and they were lost on the field. I've used lost on the field, but I kind of take that back. Troy Dye was not really lost on the field. And that's a good thing not to be conflated with the bad things. And it's just bad news that we're finding out that the bad things might not be as easy to fix as somebody who just kind of needs to understand run fits a little bit better and get more rookie experience, which will just sort of happen naturally. So with Dai, there are two main things that I think need to be on his to-do list. That's the way I put it with all these all these uh, young players that need to kind of step up. What is their to-do list? What are the things that they need to add to their game or repair about their game to be viable NFL players going forward? And for Troy Dye, um, I think what I wanted to say on this list was, well, the game just needs to slow down for him and then he'll totally be fine. And I don't think that that's the case. I actually think he's ahead of the curve in that regard. And what needs to be fixed about him are his physicality and his angles. And we'll talk about the physicality first. I've talked about physicality a lot when I talked about Chaz Surratt um, and the problems that he had at UNC with physicality and getting blown off the ball, washed out, not being able to hold a spot. Troy Dye experiences the same thing a little too much. It's not as extreme as it was with Chaz Surratt on his college tape. And Troy Dye is doing this against pros. So if you want to, you know, pit the two of them in a camp battle right now, Troy Dye blows Chaz Surratt out of the water. And I don't think anybody had, I don't even think the Vikings would disagree with that. But you have to see that improve, whether that means gaining weight, becoming stronger, you know, working on his body or working on technique working on the way that he engages with offensive linemen and even tight ends. Um, you know, what? What it doesn't bug me too much when a linebacker gets killed by an offensive lineman. That's a mismatch that the offense is, you know, kind of doing on purpose at great cost to them. If you are taking on an offensive lineman and you're a linebacker, that means that some somewhere somebody else who is big gets to go up against somebody small on your side. So your job is kind of done there. But when you're a linebacker and you're taking on a tight end, that's supposed to be a, a, a one-on-one that you can win. And he doesn't win that often enough for me. And he kind of gets stonewalled a little bit too often for my liking. And then the tackling issue, I think, is an angles issue. And that's concerning to me because that's something that it feels a little bit like ball tracking or quarterback accuracy to me, where there is just sort of this like innate spatial awareness thing that's really hard to coach. Like it's really hard to drill. Um, But it's just a matter of, you know, kind of naturally and instinctively anticipating how fast a ball carrier is going to go, where they're going to end up, and being able to kind of take an angle that puts you in a good position. And with Troy Dye, there's a lot of adjusting that kind of goes on. This is something I always thought uh, Andrew Sandejo was was pretty good at, was taking the right angle. And his tackling form would lead to misses because he would leave his feet all the time. But he would always get himself in a reasonable position where he would get like a good angle and he would get to the ball carrier. And, and it was always a straight line. That's what you really want to see. You know, you start from where you are and where the ball carrier is, and you're going to meet him, you know, at one point, two trains leave Chicago and Detroit traveling 60 miles an hour or whatever. You're going to collide at the same point, but you don't want to have to adjust a whole bunch to get there because that means you're taking an inefficient path. You're getting to the ball carrier later, and that means he's getting more yards before you get there. Anderson Dejo is always pretty good at that. And I, I think like Troy Dye has a problem where he kind of will start out the wrong direction. Then he's got to correct. And then that was an overcorrection. So he's got to correct again. And the guy gets a little bit further down the field. And that can put him in poor positions where he ends up missing tackles because he's, you know, a step late. So he'll bite on the play action for a step. He'll lose a step or two, just taking the angle wrong. And now he's three steps late and he doesn't make the tackle. And the play looks really, really bad. 
that's on the to-do list for him. And if he can fix those things, if he can put on a little weight, get better angles, it's not impossible, but that doesn't, that's not the kind of thing you, you get overnight. So I'm curious to see how Troy Dye comes out in the preseason, and if he improves in these particular traits, I like his future. But right now, I think you kind of have to believe it when you see it. Now, I got a couple of great story times coming up, but first, did you know you can bet on week one? Vikings are minus three to beat the Bengals right now. Minus three is pretty good. I kind of feel like that line might move as we get a little bit closer because I don't think there's much uh, optimism surrounding the Bengals right now. And I think after the free agent signing of uh, Sheldon Richardson and Daniil Hunter and, you know, the other free agent signings kind of becoming more reality and less theory, I think that optimism surrounding the Vikings might increase. So I don't know. Maybe you want to get in on that. And if you want to, you can find that line at betonline.ag as well as all the week one matchups if you want to be a true to generate about it. You can bet on who's going to win the division, who's going to win the Super Bowl, coach of the year, first coach fired, and a host of other things, all the other sports, award shows, reality TV, whatever you want. Head on over to betonline.ag. Enter promo code Locked On when you enter your first deposit. If you don't have an account, it's free to make an account. When you make your first deposit, you can enter promo code Locked On, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, all one word. That'll get you a 50% welcome bonus. That means if you put in 200 bucks as part of your first deposit, you get 300 bucks to gramble with. That's at betonline.ag, your online sports book experts. So you might stop me if you heard this one on this series before, but Ryan Connolly was hell bent on getting to the NFL from like the moment he could run. There's a lot of players that, you know, the, the second they can pick up a football, the, the NFL is everything. And that is Ryan Connolly's mom tells a great story about how she was making cookies in he was in like seventh grade and all of his brothers, you know, went crazy about him. And he took one and was like, you're ruining my chances to get to the NFL mom by cooking these unhealthy cookies. And I love that because he still took one. But that kind of sense of, of planning and always having a, a long-term strategy is present throughout the entirety of Ryan Connolly's path, not only to the NFL, but in the NFL as well, because obviously he didn't start with the Vikings. But he did grow up in Minnesota, and he played fo football for Eden Prairie High School. And if you follow Minnesota high school football, you might still be annoyed by their state championship stretch in 2011, 2012, and 2013. Ryan Connolly was, a, was on those teams. As a quick aside, I'm still very bitter at Eden Prairie because they beat my Lakeville South Cougars in the state championship championship my freshman year of high school in the Metrodome. I'm still bitter about it. Screw Eden Prairie. They can go pound sand. But that was all before Connolly's time. He played quarterback at the time at Eden Prairie, making him the fourth linebacker by my count that was a quarterback before playing linebacker. And there's a couple I still haven't looked into at all yet. So I might find more. Who knows? But he wasn't uh, like one of these wing T quarterbacks like Blake Lynch or, or Chaz Surratt was. He was a handoff machine. Aiden Prairie was kind of a run-only team, like not in the sense that, you know, the Baltimore Ravens are a run-heavy team, in the sense that kind of only high school teams can be run-heavy teams. So he was a bit of a handoff machine, and he didn't get a lot of buzz. But state champion winning quarterback, that'll still get you. I mean, he still threw enough to still get a, at least a little bit of attention. So Dave Aranda, defensive coordinator for the Wisconsin Badgers, came to Eden Prairie. He was recruiting someone else, and he calls in Ryan Connolly for a quick stop in and Ryan Connolly said, ah, this is probably just like a pity thing to say we're not we're, we're not recruiting you, sorry. Uh, and he didn't think it was much of a serious meeting, but much to his surprise, Dave Aranda says, we're going to give you a walk-on offer, and he jumped on it. So that summer, he goes to a conditioning camp with the University of Wisconsin and kind of tries to make a name for himself at this conditioning camp. And on the way home from that, he gets a call from Aranda that breaks his heart, says you're not going to be on the 105-man camp roster, college version making the 90-man. 90, 90 so basically, this long-awaited dream 
is over before it begins. And he had all sorts of plans. He knew he wasn't going to be a D1 quarterback, so he knew he was going to change positions, and he had plans for what to do with his body and all that stuff. He had turned down a scholarship at the University of Minnesota Duluth because that's D2 ball, and he didn't want to play small ball, per his own words. So he begs his mom to go two weeks early, drop me off at campus. I know you're going to miss me, mom, but please drop me off early at campus because he just wants to be on hand and he wants to be near everything going on, see if an opportunity arises. And sure enough, early in camp, somebody on the 105-man roster goes down, a roster spot opens up, and he's right there to fill it. So here's the deal. Ryan Connolly knew he wasn't going to be a Division I quarterback. He knew he was not that good. So he had a plan that was to hit the weight room really hard, put on as much weight as he could, and try to transition to linebacker. And all he had to do was make the squad. Scout team, lowest levels, bottom of the roster, all he's got to do is make the team. And he does so, and he redshirts for a year. And during that redshirt year, he is playing behind Chris Orr and Jack Sitchie, both of whom who got drafted, absorbing things from Dave Aranda, just learning the position of linebacker as much as he can. And hey, as a quarterback, you do get a decent base of knowledge to work from, so he manages to make that transition and also continue to work on his body and, and put on a bunch of bulk and a bunch of, of strength. And he really relishes that time on the scout team. It really gives him time to kind of incubate and, and learn how to go from handoff machine to high school quarterback to true linebacker. So his second year, his uh, redshirt freshman year, he is the backup to Chris Orr, who was a sophomore at the time, and their season opener was against LSU, a cross-conference game, and in the very first defensive play, Chris Orr tears his ACL. So suddenly, two years after moving from quarterback, it's time to put all this work to the test because Ryan Connolly's got to take the field. And mind you, this is 2016 Leonard Fournette LSU. He is a bona fide stud in college in his senior season. And now, you know, wide-eyed walk-on quarterback convert has to go contend with Leonard Fournette. And on the very first play, what does LSU do? They run right at him, of course. And he records a tackle. It's a shove out of bounds, but he gets his feet wet and he gets a tackle. He actually ends up getting seven tackles in that game. It's a grindy one. Uh, and in the fourth quarter, it was 14 to 13. LSU was leaving and driving to extend it. And it was third down, screen to Fournette. Connolly reads it, breaks up the play, brings down Leonard Fournette, and the Badgers would actually take the lead on the next drive and win the game 14 to 16. So what a debut for a dude that's like brand new to the position. So he gets in as much as he can in uh, Wisconsin in the 2016 season, 2017, his second year, his redshirt sophomore year, this time Jack Sitchi goes down. So he gets the chance to play there and he's still kind of this overlooked walk on kind of he's the backup and you know Wisconsin's got other linebackers that are getting all the attention but at this point he actually gets uh to make a little bit of a name for himself by 2019 he's actually starting and, and looking good or by 2018 sorry he's starting and looking good good enough to declare for the 2019 draft and he gets taken by the New York Giants in the 2019 draft. He's a fifth round draft pick, so now he's got to show up to camp. But of course, for Ryan Connolly, ever the planner, he has a plan to get into the lineup. Fifth round pick, of course, I mean, think about, you know, the fifth round picks this year and what we really expect from like Zach Davidson. It's not exactly a place that comes with a lot of pedigree. You got to earn your, your stripes there. So he basically said, I'm going to find a huddle and I'm going to take it over. And that's exactly what he does. 
But the opportunity comes to him a little quicker than he was anticipating, I would imagine, because Alec Ogletree actually gets hurt right in front of him, and he has to pop in. So in the 2019 preseason, Giants and Jets did some joint practices, and he's playing with the first team because the starter, Alec Ogletree, was hurt, and he actually diagnoses a run play pre-snap in a drill and goes and blows it up and kind of makes the name for himself that way. And he ends up getting a lot of playing time in the beginning of the 2019 season. He was kind of showing out. He got like a pick against Jameis Winston and he had this crazy week three game. And then it's it's week four, the next one against Washington, and they blow him out. It's total blowout when it's like 24 to three or something. And uh, Dwayne Haskins is the quarterback for Washington in 2019. He scrambles, Connolly pursues, and Haskins sees another defender coming, gives himself up, and Connolly doesn't want to get a penalty or anything. So he kind of slams on the brakes, steps awkwardly and kind of falls over and boom, torn ACL out for the year. So now it's time for rehab and to try to make the team in 2020, which he does not. And that's still kind of a thing in New York and and with Giants and Giants media. The party line is that he didn't recover quickly enough from the injury. And maybe that's true. Or maybe a coach missed something or something. But in either case, the Vikings picked him up on waivers and he was one of a million linebackers to be kind of thrust into the void in 2020 on that defense. So now he gets to try to make this weird 2021 linebacker group where there's this linebacker three job that maybe he can win if he's better than Nick Vigil and Troy Dye and maybe he doesn't make the team at all. It's it's kind of a pivotal moment for him to see, okay, it's been a couple years now since your ACL. It's time to see what you're made of, and so I'm excited to figure out what that is. Before we move on to Christian Darisaw, I want to talk to you about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar on the planet. Let's say it's late at night. Maybe you're sad. You want to indulge in something chocolatey. Maybe you're happy. You want to indulge in something chocolatey. I don't know your life, but if you want to indulge in something without falling off the proverbial wagon, you can try a Built Bar. It's covered in 100% chocolate, comes in a bunch of delicious flavors like mint chocolate, brownie, peanut butter chocolate, chocolate raspberry, all the classics. And it's low sugar, low calorie, low carb, high protein, high fiber. All five of those things are the good kind. So head on over to BuiltBar.com and enter promo code LOCKED15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. All of that's one word. And you get 15% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 at BuiltBar.com. Christian Darius started playing football at five years old. By eight, it was very clear that he was going to be an offensive lineman. Like all offensive linemen, he was a big, big kid. He played high school at a place called Riverside Baptist, a short drive outside of Washington, D.C., where he first wanted to play baseball, but eventually a youth football coach pulled him aside and said, buddy, you got to be a football player. So he joins the high school football team, and around his junior year, he's putting out some decent tape, but he's not on anybody's radar or anything like that. But there is another kid at Riverside Baptist, I think it was like a cornerback or something, that Virginia Tech wanted to scout. So they send their wide receivers coach, who's like their ch- also their chief recruiter, his name is Holman Wiggins, to go watch a little bit of Riverside Baptist practice. And while he's there, he's trying to pay attention to this cornerback, but this gigantic offensive lineman keeps catching his eye. And he says, like, I couldn't take my eye off this kid. I think I found a gem. So he goes back to Virginia Tech. He says, look, I think I found this kid at Riverside Baptist. Let's bring him in. And he tells the offensive line coach, hey, I want to get this kid in front of him. So they bring him in for like a recruiting workout. Basically, they bring him to Virginia Tech. It's nearby, right? So he works out in front of the offensive line coach and they both see that he doesn't do very well at this workout. And the offensive line coach is like, I don't get it. Am I supposed to see something interesting? What's going on? There's a lot of other kids at this workout. It wasn't like a private workout or anything, but he didn't really stand out the way he was kind of uh, made out to stand out. And Wiggins saw that too and was like, well, this is weird. You looked a lot different in high school. So he thought, okay, he must have been sick or something. Turned out he has he had an injury he didn't tell anybody about. Um, and he said, okay, I, like watch some film. We'll bring, bring him in again. You got to do your due diligence on this kid. Trust me. And so the 
O-line coach does so and says, okay, I totally get it. Let's see what we can do about a scholarship offer. But then there was another problem. He had academic issues. He was going to qualify, but there was a little bit of a wait and see approach to see exactly where his grades were going to end up. Remember, all this process doesn't happen, you know, the summer before you enroll in college. This happened, you know, junior, senior year. You still have semesters that are yet to come in. So basically, Virginia Tech is the only school to actually give him an offer. All the other Power 5 schools are waiting to see how his grades turn out, and then they'll like maybe give him their last scholarship or something. But Virginia Tech finds a better solution. They make him a deal. They say, if you go to prep school and get your grades up, figure out your academics, we'll give you an offer. So that's exactly what he does. He enrolls at a prep school. That prep school is a military school called Fork Union Academy. And it is intense. You give up your phone, you completely lose the outside world, you have regimented meals, practice, studies, every minute's planned out for you, you're, you're marching, I mean, it is boot camp, it is military school. And Darasaw had absolutely no problem with this. He knew it was his big ticket to a big college program, so he put his head down and he worked. And this is what Christian Darasaw likes. He loves the put my head down, no interruptions, let's just get the damn work done. He shined his shoes, he said yes sir, no sir, he worked hard, he cleaned his room, he marched well. Everybody at Fork Union said that he was the model of model students at Fork Union Academy, because nothing was going to get in the way of Christian Derrissaw playing D1 fo- football. And they pushed the hell out of him in the classroom, he got his ad- academics figured out, and it doesn't come up again for the rest of his time in college. So he enrolls in Virginia Tech, and he's there the very first year, true freshman in call it a competition with a guy named Silas Zancy. And Zancy has a hell of a preseason and and really does a great job, and there's not too much of a chance for Derrissaw to get there. So uh, the Virginia Tech coach puts the depth chart, coaching staff puts the depth chart together, and Zancy is the guy, they don't even list Christian Derrissaw as a starter, not like a co-starter, nothing like that. In the week leading up to their season opener against Florida State, Zancy goes down, and Derrissaw has to go in. But because they had already put their depth chart out, and they'd already kind of reported it, they actually had the opportunity to keep it a little bit tight-lipped. So Derrissaw's got to go in, but he can't tell anybody. He can't even tell his mom. And much to Florida State's surprise, out comes Christian Derrissaw to play the very first snap against Florida State. And you know who's edge rushing at Florida State during this? Brian Burns. And I believe this was the 2017 season. This is a senior season that gets him drafted in the top 10. So uh, good luck out there, kid. And by all accounts, he holds up okay, as well as you can expect for a true freshman. Gives up one sack, but everybody says, hey, look, true freshman against Brian Burns, one sack, we'll take it. And the rest is kind of history. He kept his spot there for three years, gets all ACC in 2020, and coaches laud his maturity and his work ethic. And his mom kind of noticed that maturity and that kind of attitude shift was markedly different after his stop at Fort Fork Union. It kind of got him to settle in, slow down, focus, really kind of hone into everything. And he says the demeanor, she says the demeanor kind of changed. And you could tell that they they really inspired him, I guess would be the way to put it, because it's not like one of these you know, military school whoops a bad kid into shape. Darasaw was a great kid. But the environment at Fork Union and just how seriously everybody took everything, it sounds like that really inspired him. So it was, you know, 2021, time to go for the draft. If you talk to him before the draft, people kind of noticed, and you can hear it, you can kind of hear it in the quotes, he doesn't really care about like where he got drafted. He wasn't really thinking about the weekend at all. He was really looking forward to that first week in May. When you show up to whatever team it is, it can be anybody, and you get to work. And it sounds, I, I know it sounds like super cliche, like look at this kid and his work ethic, but I don't necessarily mean it in the cliche way, though his work ethic is obviously something everybody praises. It's more about the simplicity of it. That's what he really missed at Virginia Tech. He really missed the weight room. Just dudes getting together, no noise, no outside, no press, no figuring 
figuring out what agents think, no trying to impress coaches, no trying to train for the combine. And during that pre-draft process, he was dealing with this incredibly painful core injury that he played through for his entire senior season. And he doesn't want to have to explain all that. And here's what you do when you're injured going into the draft. And here's the, the drills you're supposed to do. And, and all that complexity. He wants to shut out the noise, put in his headphones, lift weights, get a bunch of dudes in a room, and let's get to work. And he was really looking forward to that. All the fanfare and the hullabaloo of the draft. Get me past that and get me in a training camp. And he's missed a little bit of OTAs with a minor groin injury. But ultimately, he gets his chance to shut down the noise and go be the unheralded offensive lineman that every offensive lineman wants to be. And just like when he was a true freshman, he has a competition that he has to go win. He had an injury help him out the first time, but now he has to beat out Rashad Hill. But he has the luxury of time. The Vikings like Rashad Hill, and they will gladly toss him in for some games while Darisaw gets his pads on straight, however long that takes. He's got the luxury of time. I will see you all next week. I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. Make sure you check out the Locked On Today podcast hosted by Peter Bukowski. Under 20 minutes, everything you need to know in the wide world of sports every single morning. I will see you all next week, and as always, Skull.